You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Man, Jr. Kirk Herbstreet so is on the phone. Welcome to the podcast. We. It is Monday. April 11th, 2022. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody is ready for a loaded episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. Here is what you need to know as far as today's show is concerned. Today is going to be kind of a hodgepodge episode of the Aerator Sports Podcast. I know we've done a ton of basketball the last three, four, five weeks. Going to get into a little college football because spring games kind of ramped up this weekend. We got what I thought were two very interesting storylines out of spring games and spring football. One, Jimbo Fisher, Texas A&M, he was asked about being kind of a college football villain after signing the number one class in the country. Uh, Jimbo Fisher says he, he's not sure if he's a villain. I will tell you, I do think Texas A&M is a villain. I do think it's good for college football. We are going to discuss that. From there, speaking of villains, Dabo Sweeney, Clemson spring game. Dabo, of course, had plenty to say. Uh, some of it, I think, is just absolutely insane. So we're going to discuss Dabo. It's really interesting how he has kind of evolved, uh, speaking of college football villains. But Dabo with some interesting things. Then we will get to some college basketball. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but since Thursday, Duke has picked up two five-star top 10 prospects in the class of 2023. So after signing the number one class in 2022, they're going to get the number one class in 2023. And I truly do believe that Duke, you know, we made fun of the Coach K retirement tour, but that Duke has aligned itself perfectly to continue to have success. I don't know if John Shire is going to be the guy but continue to have success. We'll talk about that. Maybe some portal stuff at the end, depending on time. But that is the meat of the show. I should mention, as I have a few times on the back end of this show, uh, if you guys or girls have any ideas for the, for this show going forward, please, by all means, feel free to shoot me an email, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, or, of course, also hit me up via DM. Always looking for ideas. We're obviously in a little bit of a slow time in the calendar. The plan is to continue going strong with three episodes per week, but part of it is going to be on you guys and girls. Hit me up with topics, ideas, questions that you think would be good for the show, and I will be very happy to address them. With that said, though, let's get to the topic of the day. 
And the topic of the day is, like I just said a minute ago, this today's going to be kind of a hodgepodge show. I don't know if we're going to do a ton of college football over the next month to six weeks, uh, strictly because there's going to be so much college hoops with the transfer portal, coaching stuff, all that. And so because of it, uh, I did see two really interesting things in the world of college football that I did think was worth discussing today. I want to start at Texas A&M. Texas A&M had their spring game on uh, uh, Saturday afternoon. I actually caught a little bit of it. But in the lead-up to the spring game, a couple interesting things happened. First of all, Texas A&M, if you can believe this, got a commitment from another five-star player in the class of 2022, a defensive lineman from Georgia. It's a little bit of a weird deal. He was in the class of 2023. He reclassified. He decided to come down a level or come down a grade. He is going to enroll at Texas A&M in the fall. But it continues this incredible recruiting haul at Texas A&M, the number one class in the history of recruiting rankings Texas A&M signed in 2022, and it has absolutely driven most of college football crazy because the obvious assumption is that Texas A&M is using and abusing the new NIL policies to sign basically the best class that money can buy. Now, uh, I got into, you know, I'm going to get into my thoughts on that element of it, but before we get into that, um, the fact that A&M signed another five-star, the fact that A&M has many of these kids on campus playing spring ball, and the fact that A&M has been a nonstop talking point all offseason, it finally led to, in the lead-up to the spring game, Jimbo Fisher was basically asked about being a villain in college football. Here is what Jimbo Fisher said about that. He said, I guess you have to get used to it. Guess we have to keep doing it. We've been in the top four, top five, or top six in recruiting every year. Whatever they feel and say, I don't worry about somebody else. Like I said before, all the things that went on, it had nothing to do with NIL. I think NIL and Transfer Portal is truly affecting college football, but that wasn't the case with us. So Jimbo Fisher was asked about being a villain. He kind of uh, uh, dances around it and kind of talks about all the accusations and all that good stuff. Uh, but I am here to tell you this. The question posed to Jimbo Fisher, do you like being a villain? Are you a villain in college football? And what I am here to tell you is this. Yes, Texas A&M, because of this number one ranked recruiting class, because of how it was allegedly put together, I believe that Texas A&M has absolutely, positively become a villain in college football. And I'll take it a step further. I think this is a great, great, great thing for college football. So let's get into it. Let's discuss. And before we do, let me just reiterate how I feel about all of these NIL accusations. If you remember, uh, right before National Signing Day in February, the second one, Jimbo Fisher really addressed this and really jumped into it, and all of this stemmed from a message board rumor that started on, I think, uh, a message board, then it went to brobible.com, and then it became this crazy national talking point, and I talked about it back in February, and I know you guys remember most of my spiel because it was one of the most downloaded episodes of the podcast that we ever had. It was one of the most watched YouTube videos that I've ever had. But essentially, my belief on the Texas A&M NIL rumors are a couple things. One, I haven't seen anything credible, so I am not going to throw stones at Jimbo Fisher. At the same time, what I would also say is that while I do believe that NIL probably played a factor in Texas A&M's top-ranked recruiting class, because I believe that every recruitment in 2022 now includes conversations with NIL, 
I do not believe that it was the be-all, end-all in terms of why Texas A&M signed not only the number one recruiting class in 2022, but the number one recruiting class in the history of college football. Now, to be clear, I don't think NIL played no role, but I do not believe that it played as big of a role as people think, and it's for some really simple reasons. First of all, Texas A&M has a heck of a recruiting pitch. What is Texas A&M's recruiting pitch? Just think about what Texas A&M's recruiting pitch is. They have a national championship winning head coach, okay? That's something that virtually no other school in college football can say. Bama can say it. Clemson can say it. Uh, Ella, uh, who's the other one? Georgia can say it. There aren't very many schools that can say they have a national championship winning coach. Texas A&M is one of them. On top of that, remember, most of this class committed shortly after the 2020 season. In other words, the 2020 season ends. We have all these spring and summer camps. Most of this class was committed before the 2021 season. Why is that important? Texas A&M finished number five in the college football playoff rankings in the, in the 2020 season. Everybody knows that usually the biggest effect that, that you have, you don't see the effects of having a great season on the field right away. You see it in the next class. So Texas A&M has an incredible 2020 season. Surprise, surprise, a lot of kids saw that and want to play at Texas A&M. I also think that their recruiting pitch was completely unique and completely awesome combined with the national championship winning coach, combined with the fact that they were coming off an incredible season in which they finished number five in the college football playoff polls. And that pitch was very simply this. Rather than go to Alabama and do something that's been done a million times, or Alabama's the example, but, but you know, to a place that's been, that it's been done a million times, Come here and be part of our first national championship in forever. Come here and build something that can replicate Alabama. You could go to Alabama and be a cog in the machine, or you can come here and do something that has never been done before, or at least not in the modern era. And I think that resonated with a lot of recruits, especially, oh, by the way, the recruits that happened to visit campus the week that Texas A&M beat Alabama and the, the, the weekend that they beat Auburn in a big nationally televised game. So you start to add all that stuff up, and it makes sense why Texas A&M would have a great class. And then on top of that, and I think this is the important part I haven't heard anybody else talk about. And I'm not saying nobody else has. I just haven't heard anybody else talk about it. Texas A&M was the biggest beneficiary of a crazy coaching carousel, right? A lot of kids are committed. They're, they're ready to go. They're about to sign. They're this, they're that. And then all of a sudden, the coaching carousel blew up. Think about all the schools that went through coaching changes this year. LSU, Miami, Florida, Oklahoma, uh, USC, on and on and on and on and on, Oregon. Think about all those schools. And you know who was the number one benefactor of all that? It was Texas A&M. I don't claim to be a recruiting expert, but all this stuff is common knowledge, okay? Look at the class that they put together. A lot of the late signees were guys that were either trending or committed to another school, then had a coaching change. Texas A&M swooped in and got him. Gabriel Brownlow Dindy, five-star defensive tackle, was committed to Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley. Lincoln Riley leaves. Texas A&M was number two in his, uh, you know, in his choice coming out of high school. He ends up at Texas A&M. Shamar Stewart, five-star defensive end from Miami. Miami and Florida were both a huge factor in his recruitment. And they both changed coaches. So he, he went with the school where he knew the staff. Four-star safety, Jacoby Matthews, 
was leaning towards LSU. Then they changed the coaching staff. Guess what? He decides, you know what? I don't want to go play for a coaching staff that I have no relationship with. I am going to go to Texas A&M. So I bring all of this up to say, I don't mean to spend 10 minutes defending Texas A&M, but I've always thought that the, uh, the NIL stuff was a little bit overblown. Did it play a role? Was it some sort of factor? Yes, but it wasn't as big of a factor as everybody thinks. As a matter of fact, I can tell you for a fact that the NIL was not as big of a deal as people think. I know people close enough to the program, close enough to Jimbo Fisher, who will get the honest truth, and they will tell you, look, it was a perfect storm that allowed for this particular class to come together. With that said, though, most of the college football world does not believe that. Most of the college football world believes that it is just a highest bidder deal out there, and whoever's throwing down the most money is going to get it, and that's how Texas A&M ended up with this class. And so I bring it up because it comes back to the question that was asked a minute ago. Has Texas A&M become a villain in college football? And I believe, to me, the answer is absolutely yes. I believe that Texas A&M is officially a villain in college football, and I'll take it a step further. I believe that it's a good thing for college football that we have a new villain on the scene in Texas A&M. And so why is Texas A&M a villain? Well, it's because of the obvious reason that, like I just said, it appears to other schools, it appears to other schools that A&M is trying to fast-track a national championship. Remember how controversial it was like four years ago? when Jimbo Fisher was hired at Texas A&M, and Texas A&M had the audacity, oh my goodness, they paid him $75 million guaranteed to come be the Texas A&M head coach. That's ridiculous. That was the thought at the time. Now look at the coaching salaries. Compared to Mel Tucker, compared to James Franklin, Jimbo Fisher's a bargain. But that's been the reputation at Texas A&M, and now the NIL stuff has taken it a step further where it's like, oh, first of all, you overpaid for a head coach, which they didn't, A&M fans for the record. I don't believe that you overpaid for anybody, but that's the perception. But then on top of that, there's this perception now that they put together this super class strictly through NIL. So yes, they're a villain because to me, they create interest and they create controversy and they create the most important thing of all, they create emotion. Now I've heard some people say, Texas A&M, can't be a villain because they haven't won anything I don't buy that at all because to me at the end of the day what a villain is is somebody that it creates emotion that you either love them or you hate them right John Calipari to me is a villain in college basketball he hasn't won all that much he hasn't won a national title in over a decade but he causes emotion. He causes a, a visceral. When you see him, you're either a Kentucky fan or a Calipari guy, and you either love him and you're going to fight for him, or you hate that guy's guts and you want to see him go down and smoke. I would argue that Jim, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan was a huge villain in college football for years. Then he wasn't winning enough, so he didn't matter. But those first four or five years, he caused emotion. He's going on that satellite camp tour. He's taking shots at Nick Saban and Hugh Freeze, who was the old Miss coach at the time. He's taking shots at Urban Meyer. He doesn't care. He caused emotion. He caused interest. He was a villain. On the flip side, you know who can't be a villain? It doesn't matter how – like, I, I love this narrative. Oh, Texas A&M hasn't won. They can't be a villain. Uh, I don't really care that they haven't won because, to me, there are also people that are highly successful – that are just too likable to be a villain, right? Like, like Mike Trout in baseball. I mean, he hasn't won anything, but he's not a villain because he doesn't create emotion. 
Nobody hates Mike Trout. Most people don't even have an opinion on Mike Trout. Uh, it's funny. I'm, I'm probably later this week going to do a segment on who is the face of college basketball without Mike Krzyzewski, without Coach K in it. And what I'll say is this. I don't think Jay Wright can be the face of basketball, college basketball, because I don't think he creates enough interest or emotion or anger in fan bases. And so to me, to be a villain, you don't have to win a bunch. You don't have to lose a bunch. You just got to be somebody that creates emotion, that gets people fired up. And I know that Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M are doing that right now because, again, of the belief of what they're doing, how they put this class together, all that good stuff. And I'll take it a step further. Not only do I believe that Jimbo Fisher, because of the emotion that he has caused, has turned into a villain, I'll take it, again, a step further. I believe that it's a good thing for college football. I think college football, we're actually lacking villains a little bit right now. And what I would say is college football, more than any other sport, it creates great conversation, great controversy, great interest. Um, but I don't know that there's that many truly hateable teams, programs, coaches right now. right? I mean, I think about when I was a kid, man, oh my goodness, Steve Spurrier was a villain. Uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers were a villain. Miami, the U, was a villain. You either loved them or you hated them. But think about college football right now. Alabama, I guess to a degree, is a villain. But when I look at Alabama, I feel like most people, like at this point, it's a, you don't even hate Nick Saban. You just respect him. He's been so good for so long. You're like, how does this guy keep doing it? He's like 71 years old. How is he just running circles around the entire sport year after year after year? And oh, by the way, he's going to have a team favored to win the national championship this year. I think Kirby Smart probably was a villain. It also seemed like a lot of people were really happy for him when he won that title after all of the failures against Nick Saban previously. Harbaugh, I mentioned, was a villain. Then I think he was not good enough to be either a villain or a good guy. And then I think everything that happened over the last year with giving money back to the school, making the playoff, beating Ohio State, I don't think he's a villain anymore. Ohio State, less villainous without Urban Meyer. Notre Dame, definitely less villainous without Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly going to LSU, he hasn't done anything. They can't be a villain. Same with Florida, same with Miami, same with Oklahoma, same with USC that are all going through coaching changes. And so when you look at college football, we need more bad guys, and I think Texas A&M and I think Jimbo Fisher is that. I believe that they are a villain, and I believe that they have created interest in a place that hasn't always been interesting. I guarantee you, I'll tell you this, I spent a little bit of time on Saturday actually watching that spring game and I was joking with my radio partner, Jason Martin. I kind of joked with him. I said, I wanted to see what an alleged, wink, wink, nod, nod, alleged million-dollar defensive tackle looked like, a million-dollar defensive end, a million-dollar cornerback. I don't believe that all those kids got money. But at the same time, it's the number one recruiting class in the country. I tuned in because I wanted to see what this class looked like. 11 early enrollees. I was curious to see what these guys look like in spring ball. And that's what's going to happen in the fall. I'm not saying you're going to watch every game, but you're going to tune in. You're going to be curious. You're going to be like, okay, is this Texas A&M recruiting class as good as everybody says? Is, are they worth the money that they were allegedly given? And you are going to be interested and you are going to be paying attention whether you like Texas A&M or not. And oh, by the way, guess what? If they win really big, oh, don't go on social media. Don't check YouTube comments. It is going to be a you-know-what show. Imagine if uh, Texas A&M goes 12-0 next year, and I don't think they will. I still think they're a year away. But the bottom line is, imagine if T Texas A&M goes 12-0 and makes the playoff next year. Oh, my goodness, what a story that would be. By the way, you know what else would be a great story? If they go 7-5 and and are a complete disaster. That's a great story, too. But I bring it up because, to me, 
Texas A&M has officially established itself as a villain. I think this is a great thing for college football. I think college football needs more villains, and I think Texas A&M, they are right there, number one ranked recruiting class of all time. Jimbo Fisher wanted to duck the question. I ain't ducking the question. I think Texas A&M is, in fact, very much a villain, and I think it's good for college football. So what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. One guy that I do think is a villain, by the way, Dabo Sweeney. Dabo, as always, had interesting things to say on the transfer portal, on NIL. Clemson had a spring game as well. We're going to come back. We're going to talk Dabo. I think Dabo is starting to sound like the grandpa that wants to get off his porch. I think Dabo is slowly starting to lose grip on college football in the way that it was and the way that it is. And I'll be curious to see what his program and what Clemson looks like going forward. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. Do want to switch gears, but but really stay in the college football space because, like I said a minute ago, Texas A&M wasn't the only school that had a big-time spring game over the course of this weekend. In addition to Texas A&M, Auburn had a spring game. Kentucky had a spring game. Uh, Tennessee, weirdly, had a spring game that wasn't open to the public because of some construction at Neyland Stadium. I saw Arizona had a spring game. So a lot of schools across college football had their spring games. And I bring it up because I would argue that outside of A&M, there was no more interesting uh, team that had a spring game or really just a a program that has more interesting storylines around it this spring than Clemson, which, like Texas A&M, had their spring game on Saturday. And Clemson, to me, is one of the most interesting programs in college football right now because I don't think you can argue that they are coming off one of the most disappointing seasons in recent memory for that program. They went 10-3, and and I know 10-3 and at basically any other program in college football would be considered a success, but at Clemson, where the standard has been, win the ACC, make the college football playoff, and then have a team that is good enough to compete for, if not win the championship outright, I don't think you can argue that this past season was a disappointment for Clemson at 10-3 and overall. Now, they played better down the stretch, but it was clear that this was not a vintage Clemson team. And so Dabble Sweeney's been under a lot of heat. Dabble Sweeney's been under a lot of fire. And when I say fire, I don't mean he's getting, he is getting fired. He is on the hot seat. But Dabble Sweeney, more than anybody else, uh, seemingly has refused to kind of accept this new world of college sports that we're in. He's the guy that famously many years ago said that if they pay college players, uh, he would leave for the NFL. Now that quote was taken a little bit out of context because he was not talking about NIL. He was talking about actually paying players, making them employees, all that good stuff. But that quote has followed him around. And then more than anything, Dabo has really been hesitant to use the transfer portal. And when the team was losing last year, this became a huge point of conversation at Clemson. We're down a million bodies. The team is struggling. Is this something you're going to use? And Dabo basically kept saying no. And so I bring it up because prior to their spring game on Saturday, you know, it's a big year for Clemson. I think it's a big year for Dabo as well. Dabo was kind of had had a a State of the Union address prior to the spring game on Friday about kind of the current state of college sports in general and his program. Thought he said some very interesting things about NIL, about the future of the NCAA. He doesn't trust Mark Emmert any more than I do. So for the most part, I thought Dabo was right on point and he's going to get criticized because he's Dabo, whatever. But there was one thing that he said that caught my eye that I absolutely have to talk about today. 
And that was another comment about the transfer portal. As best as I know, by the way, he has taken one transfer throughout his time at Clemson. It was a quarterback named Hunter Johnson who started his career at Clemson, left, and then decided to come back. So he is not a transfer portal guy. And he was asked about it again on Saturday or Friday prior to the spring game. Here is what Dabo Sweeney said about the transfer portal. My transfer portal is right there in that locker room. Because if I'm constantly going out every year and adding guys from the transfer portal, I'm telling all those guys in that locker room that I don't believe in them, that I don't think they can play. We're also not doing our job as coaches and recruiters if we're bringing in a bunch of transfers. And so what I would say to that is a couple things. One, I do respect the hell out of Dabo for being so loyal to the guys in his locker room. But here is my problem. It is not realistic not to use the transfer portal. Uh, The players, fewer and fewer, have loyalty to the program. And at this point, I do think Dabo Sweeney is doing nothing short of hindering his program by refusing to acknowledge the transfer portal and refusing to use the transfer portal. So I want to get into this quote. I want to break it down because to me, this is another quote that proves to me that Dabo Sweeney as a college football head coach, as crazy as it sounds, and more importantly, Clemson as a college football superpower. I believe that they are at a crossroads in terms of where they go from here and what their future is under Dabo Sweeney. And look, to be clear, the ironic part about Dabo Sweeney's comments, I actually, for the most part, agree with him. If you listen to this show, you know that I have never been a huge proponent of the one-time transfer. I thought a lot of the issues that are coming up now, high school recruiting, fewer opportunities for high school players, um, you know, the coming and going, people quitting in the middle of the season, all those issues was stuff that I talked about two years ago. So I was never a fan of the one-time transfer rule, but at the same time, I have a policy in life. First of all, nobody really cares about my opinion. Now, you guys and girls care about my opinion, but uh, Mark Emmert and the people in Indianapolis don't care about my opinion. And so my belief is, I can yell and scream and complain until the cows come home, or at some point I can accept that this is the new reality and jump two feet into it. I have done that with the transfer portal stuff. I have done that uh, with NIL. I have accepted that this is what it is, and now I talk about it more and more because it's what you guys and girls want to talk about. I talk about the college basketball transfer portal nonstop because you guys have told me this is what you're interested in. You want to know who the best players are. You want to know what programs are doing what. You want to know why certain players are committing to certain places. And so I have come to talk about it more because it doesn't matter if I like the rule or not. I have to accept that this is the new reality, and it's the same with Dabo Sweeney. And by the way, it wasn't just me that was against the transfer portal. And it wasn't just Dabo Sweeney that was against the transfer portal. You know who else was against the transfer portal? Literally every major college coach in the country. Nick Saban spoke out publicly against the transfer portal. John Calipari spoke out publicly against the transfer portal. Tom Izzo spoke out publicly against the transfer portal. And you know what happened? All of those guys, in addition to everybody else, Lincoln Riley, Ryan Day, from the basketball perspective, Bob Huggins, Rick Barnes, at some point they just decided, you know what, if this is the new world, we have to adjust whether we like it or not. And it has helped most of these programs. Alabama, I do not believe, makes a national championship game last year if they do not get Jamison Williams out of the portal after he entered the portal and decided to leave Ohio State. John Calipari for years said, I won't take transfers. I'm not going to punish a mid-major coach who evaluates, finds a good player, develops the crap out of him. Then he figured out, wait a second now, if I don't do it, these other schools in the SEC are going to take these guys. And my job is not to do what I think is best 
It is to do what is best for Kentucky basketball. It's not my job to do what I want. It's to do what is best for Kentucky basketball. And at a certain point, John Calipari just said, I am hurting my program by not taking these guys. And so I bring it up as it pertains to Dabo Sweeney because this is where we're at with Dabo. I love Dabo. I actually like that he's outspoken because I think we need more outspoken people in our sports. But at the same time, all you're doing is hurting your program by refusing to take these players. First of all, in 2022, in football specifically, you can't survive if you don't take guys out of the portal. And here's why. When it comes to roster construction in college football, here's the bottom line. You sign 25 guys every year with an understanding that even in a great class, even in a great class, probably about 60% of the class isn't going to work out. They're not going to be as good as you think they are. There's going to be season-ending injuries. There's going to be career-ending injuries. They're going to flunk out of school. They're not going to be able to handle the academics, whatever. And so you're already talking about out of a 25-person class, you're probably only going to hit on like 15 to 18 of them if you have a really, really, really good class. Well, now on top of losing about 8 to 10 every year just because of natural attrition, now you're losing more and more guys simply because they don't want to wait their turn in the portal. And so what you saw at Clemson last year was that by the end of the year, they just didn't have enough bodies They're just losing guys left and right to injuries. They don't have people to replace them because Dabo Sweeney refuses to go into the portal and get guys. So one, it's just simply not sustainable to to build a program like this, and it's not sustainable to continue to have high levels of success if you just absolutely refuse to recruit the portal. And so to me, it goes back to what I said a minute ago. This, to me, is a fascinating moment in time for Dabo Sweeney and for the Clemson Tigers. There is a very clear fork in the road, and I believe that it could go one of two ways. Dabo Sweeney can either adjust and adapt to who he is and what he's about and how he builds a program, and he can go down one part of the road where he's going to continue to compete for national championships, or he can continue to be stubborn, continue to do it his way, go down the other road. I think it's going to be a lot of 10 and 3. Maybe every once in a while you have a successful ACC championship. Maybe you make a playoff, but again, Are you going to be able to build a roster to beat Alabama or Ohio State or USC maybe with Lincoln Riley? I don't think so. By the way, it's important to mention Lincoln Riley at this particular moment. USC took like 13 guys out of the transfer portal this year. LSU, Brian Kelly, took about 12, 13, 14 guys out of the transfer portal this year. My understanding, talking to somebody who knows the inner workings of the USC football program, they're going to take another seven to eight after spring football. So we're talking about like 20 new players out of the portal because that's what they have to do to build this program and build it quickly, and Dabo Sweeney refuses to do it. And so when I bring all this up, it just leads me to this fascinating moment in time for Dabo Sweeney because a couple things. One, I don't feel like I've ever been more confident. Like if you had asked me about six years ago, five years ago, Dabo Sweeney, where does he retire? Oh, it's Clemson, no doubt. Now I don't know, and I talked about this a little bit when Dabo very briefly was caught up in the LSU rumors. Obviously, he didn't go to LSU. He had no interest. But I bring it up because when da- in that moment in time when Dabo was linked to LSU for a very brief time in October or November or whatever it was, uh, I remember saying, like, I don't think Dabo's ever going to leave Clemson for another college job, including Alabama, by the way. What I do think, though, I think at some point he could just get fed up and say, screw it, I'm going to the NFL. If I got to pay players if I got to deal with free agency let me just go do it at the professional level where I don't have to recruit and I don't have to do all this other crap only to lose these guys so I've long believed it's more likely that Dabo someday ends up in the NFL than he does at another college but what I would also say is this was a conversation I was having with somebody on Saturday over the next 10 years 
Who would you rather have as a head coach? Somebody who's stuck in the old ways, refusing to adapt, like Dabo Sweeney, or somebody that's new age, gets it, gets what it's about, like Mel Tucker. Now, on the surface, you would say, you take Dabo Sweeney 10 out of 10 times. And if I had to make a guess, I would probably take Dabo Sweeney too. If I had to bet my life on one of them winning a championship over the next 10 years, I would absolutely take Dabo Sweeney. But I do think that it is a conversation worth having because Mel Tucker, to his credit, and it's not just Mel Tucker, it's, again, Brian Kelly, who's brought in 14 new guys via the portal at LSU. It's USC and Lincoln Riley. It's Nick Saban. These guys get that this is the new world, and so credit Mel Tucker. Mel Tucker's another one, by the way, who has gone on the record and said, I don't really like the transfer portal stuff, but what choice do I have? Michigan State's paying me a lot of money to win football games. I got to do it now, and credit Mel Tucker for making that decision and building his program going forward. So I'm not saying I would definitively take Mel Tucker over Dabo Sweeney, but I think it's a conversation because if Dabo's going to stay this stubborn, I don't think it's realistic to build a national championship contender in 2021, in 2022, in 2023, 2024, the way that Dabo did it in 2013, 14, 15, 16, 17. And so it remains a fascinating conversation. We'll wrap this. We'll get to some basketball. But I just bring it up because the way that I look at it is I do think that now more than ever, again, this is a crossroads for Dabo. And I think this particular year is a very interesting season for Dabo coming up. One, obviously, he's got the quarterback situation. we got plenty of time in the summer to talk about the quarterback. Uh, DJ Uyla struggled last year. Does Cade Klubnik come in, the, the, the five-star freshman, and take that spot? But I think it's just 2022 is going to be a fascinating season for Dabo Sweeney because this whole thing can go one of two directions. On the one hand, they can go back to being 11-1 and and being in the playoff mix. And if they are, nobody's going to really care what Dabo says about NIL. Nobody's going to care about the transfer portal. Oh, by the way, nobody's going to care that he's not taking kids from the transfer portal if he wins. But I think it's much more likely that we're looking at another like 10-3 and type year because of the fact that, again, Dabo Sweeney refuses to adapt. And if Dabo goes 10-3 and this year or 9-4 and or 11-2 and but misses the playoff and takes a couple weird losses, I do think we're in a scenario where we got to start asking some tough questions about Dabo. Not that he needs to be fired, not that this, not that that. But is he still one of these elite coaches if he refuses to adapt to the times? So it's an interesting conversation. Wanted to bring it up. I saw the Dabo comments. Thought it was absolutely worth discussing on today's show. So what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I want to come back. I want to wrap. How about this? Duke, two more five stars in the class of 2023 over the course of this week. Now we're switching to basketball, of course. That Duke Coach K retirement tour, I'm just telling you, I think it worked out better than anybody could have ever imagined, and we're going to discuss that next. I'll be right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Do want to switch gears here. I do want to talk a little college hoops because obviously, look, I thought that those two topics to lead the show, I, I don't know how much college football we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. It's kind of a quiet time for college football, but I did think those two topics to lead the show, Jimbo Fisher and Dabo Sweeney, were really good topics. I really did want to hit on them, but also it is worth noting that April is traditionally become, in the last couple of years, a very big month in terms of college basketball. Now, usually when I'm talking college hoops in April, it's transfer portal, it's coaching, it's commitments, it's this, it's that. But there was something that happened in high school basketball recruiting that I did think was worth addressing from over the weekend. 
Duke basketball. Not sure if you heard. Coach K has retired. Despite what Jay Williams says, no, he is not coming back. But they already signed the number one high school class in the class of 2022. They were already off to a great start in the class of 2023. And then on Thursday and Friday, they did something that just about anybody in college basketball, I don't know if anyone in college basketball outside of maybe a Kentucky or a Kansas or a North Carolina, a true blue blood has ever done. On Thursday and Friday, in the week in which Coach K coached his final game and we had all these questions about the future of Duke, you know what John Shire did? On Thursday, he picked up a commitment from a five-star guard named Tyrese Proctor, originally from Australia, NBA Academy, another big piece for the high school class of 2023. So this kid is a high school junior, and this kid committed to Duke. And then on Friday, and this was the big one, this is why I'm doing this segment, Mackenzie and Baco, the number two ranked player in the class of 2023. So we're talking about high school juniors now. He commits to Duke as well. And so what I would say is this. In the world where we thought that Duke, and I include myself, I include myself, we thought Duke might fall off a cliff. It's never going to be the same without Coach K. They have already secured the number one class in the class of 2022. And I am going to get into the details, but they have essentially already secured the number one class in the class of 2023, the high school juniors, before the recruiting cycle even started. And so I don't want to say they're recruiting better than, than they were pre during the Coach K era, but as well, if not better, than when Coach K was the head coach. And it can't help but make me think one thing. That retirement tour that we completely made fun of, for the last year and a half, last year since it was announced in June, I guess it wasn't a year and a half, year in June, it was the best thing that ever happened to Duke, and it best positioned them for success. And so let's get into it because I kind of threw, threw a million different things at you. But as I mentioned, just in the last five days, Duke has picked up two five-stars in the class of 2023, kids that are currently high school juniors. And again, normally this isn't stuff that I would talk about, but when the bigger picture stuff starts to come together and it's something that impacts the sport and the landscape of the sport as a whole, I have no choice but to. And so the Tyrese Proctor kid, he's uh, originally from Australia, five-star kid, big guard. You could see him uh, if you just search YouTube. He hasn't played very much in the States. But then on Friday, Mackenzie and Baco is the big one. Because he is a guy, 6'8", 6'9", wing, uh, compared uh, favorably to Jason Tatum. He commits to Duke, and he is the number two player in the high school class of 2022. And he's the one. He is the cherry on top of a Sunday that is going to be just an absolutely incredible class. And he is the player in that class, along with DJ Wagner, Dewan Wagner's son, that every single school wanted. Kentucky wanted him. Had him on a visit, offered him a scholarship. Memphis had him on a visit, offered him a scholarship. And it ends up being Duke. And here is why I feel as though I need to have this conversation today. It is because Mackenzie and Baco, in many ways, is the final piece of the 2023 recruiting class for Duke. So think about that. They already signed the number one recruiting class in the class of 2022. And they now have five players committed for the class of 2023 in a world where most schools might have one, many have zero. Duke has essentially wrapped up their class in 2023, and it's going to be the best class next year. They signed the best class in 2022. It's going to be the next class in 2023. Here is how talented that class is. 
According to 24-7 Sports, McKenzie Mbako, number three player in the class. He is committed to Duke. Caleb Foster, number 12 player in the class, committed to Duke. Tyrese Proctor, number 17 player, committed to Duke. Jared McClain, 24, committed to Duke. Sean Stewart, 29, ranked, committed to Duke. So in total, Duke has five players committed for the class of 2023. I'm not even talking about the class that's going to be freshman next year. I'm talking about two years down the road. They have five players committed. All five are ranked in the top 30 over at ESPN. All five are ranked in the top 25. And all five are five-star players. And so you look at the run that John Shire is on as a recruiter, as now the head coach at Duke. He has gotten commitments from, if my math is correct, 10 players in the two classes since he has been named head coach, the class of 2022 and the class of 2023. In those two classes, he has signed, are you ready for this? He has signed nine out of 10. Actually, it's nine out of 11 because he just took a three-star seven-footer. Out of the 11 players who have committed to Duke, Nine of them are five stars. It's absolutely incredible. 2022, four of the top 13 players, Derek Lively, Kyle Filipowski, Derek Whitehead, and also Mark Mitchell, four of the top 13 players. And now in the class of 2023, I just laid it out, five of the top 29 players, nine of 11 players who have committed to Duke are five-star players. And so why I bring this up, I think this is a huge story in college basketball for two simple reasons. First of all, we play where Aaron was right, where Aaron was wrong. I was dead wrong on John Shire's ability to recruit. It's not that I didn't think he was a good recruiter. Like, it was funny that Jay Williams story came out last week when Nolan Smith left and Jay Williams says, how are they going to be able to recruit? Like, John Shire's a great recruiter. John Shire's the guy that got Jason Tatum to Duke. John Shire is the guy that was the point person on Paulo Bancaro. John Shire is an incredible recruiter. But if you go back to June and you remember what I was saying at that time, my big question about John Shire was pretty straightforward. It was, can he get kids to commit to Duke when Coach K is no longer the head coach? Because it's one thing to get a five-star to play for maybe the greatest college basketball coach of all time and a college basketball coach, by the way, that has coached three Olympic teams to gold medals and has coached some of the best players in the world, whether it be Kevin Durant, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Chris Paul, you go on and on down the list. Basically, if you're a great player in the last 15 years, you have been coached by Coach K, let alone everything that he did at the college level. But on top of that, I was also worried that once Coach K left and once these kids were not going to play for Coach K, I had my doubts that John Shire would be able to recruit at an elite enough level to get kids to come to Duke. I said it on this show. If my son was a one and done, I wouldn't send him to Duke to play for John Shire because I know that Coach K can get a kid from 17 years old, five-star high school player to the NBA in one year. He's done it for years. Zion Williamson, Jason Tatum, R.J. Barrett, Kyrie Irving, Jabari Parker, Paolo Bancaro. Coach K has proven it. I didn't think John Shire would be able to get these same level of players. Instead, he has done it with all of these great high school recruits. And like I said, number one class in 2022 and 2023 is basically done. He can already start on the high school class of 2024, the players that are currently sophomores. But what I would also say, and why I wanted to bring this up, one, I think it's really important for the future of college basketball because Duke appears to be in really good position for at least two more seasons in terms of being just a real juggernaut that's going to start the seasons ranked atop the polls. 
But at the same time, what it also told me, what, the, what this uh, of the last couple days also told me was this. As much as we made fun of the retirement tour at Duke, it ended up being the best thing that happened. The best thing that Coach K actually could have possibly done to help out the Duke program. And let me explain why. I think when we thought of the retirement tour last June, when he announces that in a year from now, I am going to step away. I'm going to coach one more season. I think what we all thought was this. He's doing it for the vanity of it all. He's doing it so ESPN and CBS and Fox and everybody that covers college basketball can spend a year fawning over him and throwing rose petals at his feet. And I think to a degree, there's, there's probably some vanity to it. I think Coach K is an arrogant guy. If I won 1,200 games, I'd probably be arrogant too. But if you ask Coach K, and the reason that he said he was doing this was because going into this coming recruiting cycle, the class of 2022, he didn't want any player committing to Duke thinking that he was going to coach him. And so what ended up happening was an almost best-case perfect storm scenario where Coach K last summer did not go out recruiting. He was not in the gym. And by the way, that was the, the pushback I got every time they got a commitment last, last summer was, well, the, it's still Coach K. He's still there. No. Coach K stayed home all summer long and focused on working with the players on this past team, the 2021-2022 team. Paolo Bencaro, Wendell Moore, um, Trevor Keels, Jeremy Roach, etc. And this is why it worked out perfectly. Coach K goes back. He's focused on coaching this team, getting this team ready. And then John Shire just went out and was able to focus on recruiting for two full years. And so Coach K is handling all the basketball. Coach K isn't doing any of the in-homes. Coach K isn't doing any of this, any of that. And John Shire was able to completely focus on recruiting for two years. Locks up the number one class in the fall. That's basically signed, sealed, and delivered by November. I know they added Mark Mitchell after, but you get the point. And then he could focus on 2023, and he's already got that class locked up. And so why I bring this up this worked out so well for Duke where they're really set, as I just said, for the next two years. In my way too early top 25, which is going to be adjusted as the summer goes on, I'm at number seven. Now, if it's all freshmen and no upperclassmen, if all their guys declare, they might drop down a spot or two. But they ain't going to be terrible going into next year. And if they have the number one class in 2022, 2023, then guess what? They're going into next season with a top 10 team probably in the country as well. And I know I'm looking a little bit forward ahead, but I do think it's important because I think there were so many of us that questioned, could John Shire recruit at the highest level? And so John Shire has, and now Duke is set up really, really, really well for the next couple years. Now, obviously, it guarantees nothing. I'm not saying that I think John Shire is the next Coach K. I'm not saying that I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer and the greatest coach to ever do it. I'm not saying I think he's going to have 1,200 wins 40 years from now when he retires. But what I am saying is, when you take over for a legend, all you can do is hope to have the program in the best position possible, and that's exactly where it is at Duke. Doesn't guarantee anything, doesn't mean they're going to win multiple national championships, doesn't even mean that John Shire is going to make the tournament next year. He could have the number one recruiting class and just not know how to coach, and they could be 16 and 15 and miss the big dance. But I just bring it up to say, we made fun of that retirement tour, but you look at Duke's recruiting, it's absolutely insane. Number one class in the class of 2022, four of the top 13 players, and now a 2023 class that includes McKenzie and Baco, uh, Tyrese Proctor, and essentially four, five of the top 30 players in high school basketball, five of the top 25, depending on what recruiting service you look like, and they're going to sign the number one class in the class of 2023 as well. 
All right. I think that's it for this episode of the Aratory Sports Podcast. What a show. All over the place today. Um, but really good show. Really good show. Really enjoyable show. I appreciate all of your guys and girls' support. Really fun show. And I think this is a fun time of year. Like I said earlier, I love doing shows this time of year because you get to be a little bit more creative. You get to kind of talk big picture stuff. You don't always have to react to a game or a moment or this or that. Uh, but we're going to keep going. As I said earlier, uh, Wednesday... If you have any ideas for the show, I'm always open to suggestions. Email me at Aaron Torres, podcastquestions at gmail.com. Shoot me a DM with any questions. I really do love hearing back from you guys, and I really do, do hope to hear from you guys on ideas that you want for this show. Uh, but today's show is done. I appreciate the support. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. I should mention, by the way, make sure you're following on YouTube. There's been a couple times in the last week or so, really the last three or four weeks, where I have done YouTube-specific content. Maybe it's not a perfect segment for the show, but it is good for YouTube, and so I have done a lot of stuff that is YouTube only, so I encourage you to go check out the YouTube page. We're well over 10,000 subscribers on YouTube, and so I very much appreciate your guys and girls' support uh, in what I'm doing over there. I do think it is time for me to get out of here, though. I will be back on Wednesday. i got some great stuff lined up for Wednesday. We'll do a transfer portal update, all that good stuff. Uh, but that is all for today's show. Shout-out to Torrent Craig. Shout-out to Rachel, who hates my voice. And in honor of Duke's recruiting, shout out to J.J. Reddick. He called me some naughty words last week. Fun show, crazy show, busy show. I appreciate your guys and girls' support. I will be back on Wednesday. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.